Welcome to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer, um, and I am in a hotel room in Los Angeles right now with some lovely ladies. Uh, I am today also having an extra correspondent of Miss Lorraine Singh. Hey, guys. It's me. This is my voice. Yeah. I'd like to just reaffirm that. So, host of <laughs> Marvel's Swift, the big Marvel show. I'm so excited for the big Marvel show. Yeah, we're, we're going to be kicking off pretty soon with that, as well as the Marvel Minute and various live red carpety fun things. And I'm with these three lovely ladies from this amazing science group. Why don't you guys talk about yourselves? We can. Hi, I'm Taryn O'Neill, and I'm one of the Sirens. And I'm Tamara Krinsky, also one of the Sirens, otherwise known as Marvel's West Coast Correspondents. I'm sort of the the link between groups here. Yeah, Marvel family. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm Gia Mora. Well, first and foremost, I want to say that I I sort of, uh, I've heard about you because Tamara has talked about you guys before, and I'm very excited to have you talk about it on the podcast because we've talked to a wide range of female scientists um, at the Natural History Museum in New York City. We've talked to a young high schooler who specialized, who actually did her, like, Science project that went to like nationals about sort of the mod- the model woman work the model woman in comics and sort of like the percentage and why we need more women and so you know like I was like oh I'm going to L A let me see if I can actually talk to you guys um, but w- what your group does is so important because I think that there needs to be more women in science but also more women in science pushing in the film and TV industry. And that's pretty much where where we live. We sort of live at the crosshairs of that place. So our mission as sirens, which is sort of a play on screen sirens for science, is the idea that uh, we believe that science and entertainment can sort of be a gateway drug for larger literacy in science in the general public. And we really believe in creating science-infused entertainment that is not uh, hitting you over the head with (laughs) equations and things like that, but is truly entertaining. And by opening that door to wonder and curiosity, that's going to infuse what you do in your everyday life with an appreciation for science. I really love you. We've talked a little bit about how you guys got started. Can you tell us a little bit of that story? Yeah, Taryn, why don't you? Yeah, go, um, go into our origin story. Into our origin story. <laughs> um, everyone needs an origin story. Uh, so I wrote this very impassioned blog post after I watched the uh, Bill Nye the Science Guy and Ken Ham creation debate. I don't know if you guys remember yeah. that. Oh, yes. Yep. And I remember, I, I actually, I think I only watched like four minutes of it live because I just Before got... Before her head exploded. Yeah. <laughs> Before I got so infuriated. And then I should not have, but I mean, the group is a result of this, gone online and looked at all the comments and the supportive comments towards Ken Ham. And I'm like, holy bleep, um, this can't happen. Uh, and so, I, and I had been falling in love with science because I started writing, sci- writing science fiction and I'd gone down the science rabbit hole myself and I had just discovered physics and I'd always been a fan of genetics, but really just sort of fell in love with the laws of nature that govern our existence. And I was it just sort of brought this new perspective to my life and to my art as an actress and a writer. Um, and so I wrote this blog post, and I called out a bunch of actresses that I knew in Hollywood, um, Tamara and Gia and a few others, like Claire Grant and Red Leah Vanderbilt and Christina Ochoa, 
who um, also I knew loved science. And I was like, my, my theory was, who would be the least suspected yet most effective ambassador for science literacy? Actresses. Mm-hmm. You know, because you think actresses are, you know, flippant and, I don't, you know, just silly and not grounded and educated and passionate about a, a subject like science and STEM things. Um, and so we all got together and sort of it's been a two-year process of figuring out exactly what this group can do. And, and now we're using our social media platforms to support the work that researchers and scientists and science communicators are doing to, you know, audiences that we have that may not be, have been exposed to science before. Um, and then we're also developing content um, with STEM characters and STEM storylines that hopefully Hollywood will get behind and, and we'll be able to see more STEM characters especially females out there. Now, can I ask a question off of that? Yeah, so you, no question. No, <laughs> well, podcast over. I'm Click. a robot. I do not answer questions. <laughs> but people use the word STEM all the time, and it kind of can have a lot of different meanings to different people. What is STEM for the average listener who doesn't know a ton about science? Sure. STEM stands for uh, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Yes, absolutely. So it's, it's the fields that... Um, I think a lot of students are often sort of scared of, both men and women, girls and boys, uh, but it's an, an acronym that's sort of become a placeholder for education in those specific fields and in uh, training upcoming uh, generations to be available um, and prepared to take on positions in these fields, um, you know, for things, everything from uh, dealing with global warming, but even things, you know, much more on a macro sort of scale, like coders at Google or, you know, who's going to assemble your iPhone, uh, that kind of stuff. I I feel like the one thing that, you know, growing up, I remember in high school that I hated math because I wasn't good at math, and I was like, what am I going to use math for? But now that I've gotten older, I have an appreciation for science in certain ways. Like, I I feel like we we push so hard on certain... aspects in school but really the most fascinating interesting science is the stuff that you don't you don't get a chance to learn until later in life Mm -hmm. and I think that more and more schools and programs that like what you guys are doing is like broadening what science and math is and bringing it to that like um I talked to, I'm trying to talk to Summer Ash, who's uh, mm-hmm. the Reach at Columbia. I love Summer. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah. She's also fabulous and loves space and galaxy. <laughs> uh, and so, like, she works with Columbia University to do their STEM outreach. And, like, she is so, like, so unlike what you would expect, like, a science person to be. Well, okay, so wait, so here's my question. What would you expect a science person to be? I'm eternally curious about this. Well, I mean, growing up, my parents were both science people, so they're nerds. And that's, here, like, here we are at a Woman of Marvel podcast where, like, clearly comic people are nerds. And it's it's definitely that, like, core of, like, what you expect a nerd to be. Which and is nerds like, are good now. Yeah, I mean, when I was growing up, a nerd was not a good thing. Yeah. Now a nerd, I take that title, and so many of my friends do with pride. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really a placeholder for someone who's um, unabashedly passionate about anything, yes. which is something yeah. I love about it. Yeah. And now I think it's acceptable for you to be passionate about things that may be like nerdy or geeky or like almost like you're, you're not part of the cool kids group. And now the cool kids are the nerds. And so, and like, you know, we're, we're here for Y'all West this weekend and seeing like this wide range of, 
of men and women and young, I mean, a lot of them are young and they're really into these wide ranges of why fiction, science fiction, you know, like, yeah, sort of magic and fantasy. And I'm like, where was that when I was 15? And I think that that's sort of like more and more of these programs and outreaches getting these, you know, young women and young men to like sort of see that there are the, there are, first of all, women working in these industries, which is important, but also like, uh, you know, just like getting more people to to see that there's there's out there and they can be that too. Well, I feel so. like I feel like when I was growing up, you had to make a choice. I mean, I went to a performing arts high school, and it can, I was in so I was in PA programming for half a day and quote unquote academics for half a day, and all of my PA stuff conflicted with the advanced science courses, which I could have taken, like I was eligible to take them. But the thought was, well, she's doing the performing arts stuff; it doesn't matter; mm-hmm. it's not applicable to her. And there was a very clear sense that like you do one or the other and going back to your question about stem um in educational circles circles in educational circles yeah, um, I love circles they're my favorite <laughs> <super> <laughs> shape. Yeah. oh geometry um stem has a very specific meaning and there's now also steam which is the insertion of arts into stem and using one to feed the other and um that also has a very specific meaning in educational circles but in the larger sense i think it's something that the three of us really advocate and that idea that you don't have to choose engineering or being on stage on a Saturday like you can find ways to integrate all of those loves and all of those passions and it's something that I definitely left the science stuff that I was interested in as a little girl behind sort of in my later high school years and my college years and then came back to it and kind of thank goodness for the internet which allowed me to connect with people um, who shared that passion. I think to your point about Y'all West and uh, and to our mission to bring STEM-infused entertainment, that the missing piece in our education system when it comes to STEM is the narrative form. Science is exciting if you understand the story. Mm-hmm. If you understand why general relativity makes your GPS work, if you understand why time moves more quickly in certain places than it does in others, then you understand why we should care about it. If you don't have a reason to care, there's no reason to be interested in learning it. But, and that's certainly how I sort of kind of fell into my, my uh, black hole of, uh, <laughs> of science. It was made probably 15 years ago. I read this book called The Equation That Could Not Be Solved. And I had taken physics. I you know, I'd taken AP bio. I had taken chemistry. And I had taken physics in college. I'd taken astronomy. I'd done all those things that you're supposed to do in your traditional liberal arts program, which I'm also a huge advocate of. I don't think we should be putting kids into these programs that are like, you're only doing acting or you're only doing engineering. Mm-hmm. We should all have a big, broad swath of of education, and then as we get older and we can make better decisions, then we can specialize. But that's beside the point. So the equation that could not be solved told this, you know, 500-year journey of solving this equation, and it wasn't, it was all about math, and it was all about advancements and halts and advancements and, you know, falling backwards and losing things and then coming forwards again, but it was all story. And all of a sudden, this equation that I could have given two craps about before I picked the book up became the most fascinating thing on planet Earth to me. And, and this equation helps solve uh, symmetry rotation. So it's like, how many times in the Rubik's Cube do you have to turn it in order to get all of the pieces into the right place, right? So I was at a dinner party in Washington, D.C. with 
uh, people from the Department of Defense and the State Department mm. and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm the exotic unicorn in this collection. <laughs> I'm not a government employee. I'm under the age of 40. I, you know, I don't have all the qualifications. So I'm sitting there and somebody says, just off the cuff, well, oh, can you imagine, wouldn't it be interesting to find out like how many times we'd have to switch seats so that we were sitting uh, male, female, but not with the person that you came with? And I looked at the table and I said something, I don't know, I don't remember what it was, but it was like, oh, it's six times. And they went, how do you know that? And I was like, well, it's, it's an equation, right? It's a symmetry problem. <laughs> <laughs> how I know how this is going to work. And literally, this table of bureaucrats stops and are agawk. And like, how on earth does this airheaded actress, right, quote, unquote, right, the stereotype of that, how on earth is she schooling us on some sort of math? This is out of the Pusterous. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I love shattering those stereotypes. And I love that there is, like, why do we need to learn about rotational symmetry? Because there's that. Now, that's a really impractical application of it. But, I don't I know, it sounds like it makes for a really fun dinner party. It yeah. is very does. practical. Yes. That is very practical. But that, when you have a narrative, when you have something that can then bring you to it and let you use the knowledge that you've acquired and to apply it in some way to your own life, aside from, like, amortizing your mortgage, which is pretty much the only practical skill I may have learned <laughs> in math. That's uh, a pretty good one. Though. That's a pretty yeah, good skill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when you have those, then all of a sudden there's meaning. And when you attach meaning to something, you remember it. The more you have to work to learn something, the more you retain it. Um, and, you know, that's, to me, a very important piece of it. So if we, as sirens, can bring entertainment that has a piece to it that's a story and somebody goes, oh, I remember this plot line. Oh, that's how they talked about meteorites. Or that's how, mm -hmm. this is the explanation of... Stem cell research. Stem cell or, research, yeah. yes. That all of a sudden these people have access to something and have a connection to it and have a, a narrative structure, which we all as human beings latch onto. Mm -hmm. And they can get into something they would never otherwise get into. And that I love. Well, and that's something we talk about a lot is science fiction, right? Right. We're, we're dealing with Marvel. It's a lot of science that's fiction. fiction yeah. How do you go about incorporating sort of science fact into science fiction, and what is the import of that, you know? Right. Well, and I mean, science sci-fi was my gateway drug into my love for science. I grew up stealing the Isaac Asimov books from my dad's bookshelves, and, you know, he never, ever sort of put out this idea of, oh, you're my daughter. What are you doing stealing sci-fi? And I actually never came into contact with anybody saying, what? Why do you like that stuff? Until I was interning at Steppenwolf, which is this great mm -hmm. theater company in Chicago. And um, I was downstairs uh, in their basement, green room, reading uh, this awesome series by Kim Stanley Robinson. It's all about uh, Red Mars, Blue Mars, Green Mars. It's all about, it's a very hard sci-fi look at what would happen when we populate Mars one day. Um, and somebody came up to me and they were like, why are you, what are you reading? And I was like, oh, it's this great book about Mars and blah, 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 blah. And I sort of went into some of the hard science on it. They just were sort of looking at me. It was that same unicorn look. And they were like, but why are you reading that? I said, because it's really great. And they said, but you're a girl. Oh, <gasps> they actually said that. Did they really? Yeah, they did. And I was like, what? what? It, like, it didn't compute. I didn't. And I was like, what do you mean? So? And they were like, well, getting girls like, girls would like sci-fi. I was like, uh, not the girls that I know. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, Taryn and I the other night were at an event uh, from the Science and Entertainment Exchange, which is an organization, it's a program of the National Academy of Sciences, and they connect science consultants with writers and directors. And there were actually a bunch of Marvel writers there. Oh, uh, mm -hmm. Nicole Coleman was there. John um, Bates. 
Don Spates, a couple of others, and they've actually, you know, been instrumental and very helpful in with some of the Marvel films. But, um, you know, I think that the way you ins- you insert science is you look. Sometimes it's inspiring. Sometimes you get a story idea that comes off of a scientific concept that you then go, "What if?" And I believe that good sci-fi that in a in good sci-fi, you take that idea, you take that what if, and that's where the imagine t- imagination takes over, but you create a, consist- a consistent world that is in line with the what if that you set up. Um, you create the rules that you can follow. Um, so sometimes it's inspirational. Sometimes it's looking at the science that you have in a film and actually making sure that it's accurate. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it, it can be accurate without affecting your storyline and in, in a bad way. I mean, it's, it, there's no reason for it not to be accurate. I can speak to when I was writing sci-fi and I, I wrote a series for Stan Lee. Um, it was an original idea of his that they pitched me to like update and I did and it was there was not a lot of sort of scientific elements in it and so we did and I went in and we ended up, um, they brought me on and the, the project went with a partner and, and I wrote the entire series and so, you know, with that one I had to sort of figure out how to load in underneath the science to legitimize the sci-fi but keep the fantastical world. Um, and when I started writing sci-fi, it was always like a big idea that I then try to somehow justify and find legitimate science to support it. Mm-hmm. But now, especially because of, of being involved in so much science because of the sirens, I just find that the science and, and the reading that I do inspires the fiction way more these days. Like if you listen to Andy Weir talk about writing The Martian, it was like, it wasn't like a what if. It was like, no, this is the science. If this happens, how do you react? And and that science creates so much more conflict and drama than anything you can come up in with in your real life. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I wrote a one-person show that was about a clinical trial for uh, stem cell research, and in it, there's a whole, it's called Egg Child, and there's sort of a whole issue with, with pregnancy and stuff like that. And I was running into a story problem for justifying kind of the, the second act of the piece. And, you know, as I was wandering through it, I, I just kept running into this wall. And finally, I called a girlfriend of mine who is a psychologist and um, had also had some, some issues in that area and a lot of experience. And we were sort of talking through her experience and what medically happened to her. And I was like, oh. Well, well, there's the answer. A real medical issue and the way that you solved it, there, there's the answer. And that, draw, that actually justifies the narrative. And now I know how to go through my second act. So, you know, it can, it can be inserted in a lot of different ways. Do you think uh, now that science, now that, you know, like science fiction and like in the 50s and the 60s was like, make things up. Mm. But now that like, that's why I really appreciated The Martian because I actually did a lot of, before I actually saw it, I went and like watched all the, how do science works? And like, (laughs) they actually worked with astrophysicists to see like, how a black hole would actually look like in real life. And when I went and saw it, I was like... I mean, for Interstellar? Yeah, over Interstellar. Wait, for Interstellar? Yeah, for Interstellar. I'm mixing two different movies. But yeah, like I remember like going like, oh, that's, that's real. Mm-hmm. And but I, I I think the first time I had that moment was the, a, a movie a while ago with Tom Cruise with the futurist thing Minority Report yeah and yeah. they they actually brought in futurists yeah. to actually mm-hmm. like what the future was going to be like and I now like now that everyone has the self the the, the self driving cars I'm like that was in that movie. With Tom Cruise. Okay. Yeah. That's true. That's yeah. accurate. They brought like 10 futures, like Ray Kurzweil, yeah. before he was even he like known. Yeah. Um, sort of, he's very much known in like the, in the general sci-fi genre circles now, because he has his own, you know, Singularity University, and it's pretty phenomenal, but 
Yeah, they had like the heavy hitters in that meeting. William Gibson, I think, was in it. Like, it was crazy. Yeah. Like, so now that science is real and these, they, do you think more people are invested in these plot points because they can actually look at this and be like, this could actually be real life? No, I don't think so at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know that, I don't know that the general population is able to distinguish the difference between them. I don't, I mean, it's obvious that if you played. You know, season one of the original Star Trek that we might go, okay, well, clearly. But I don't know. Like, I uh, I said, I told the story at WonderCon a uh, couple of weeks ago about how there was an episode of The Blacklist where they have this, like, nuclear bomb and they're trying to defuse it and they don't know what to do with it. And so at the last second, they just dump it in the Hudson and it's like, oh, it's okay, it's fine, it's contained. (laughs) (laughs) All the fish ever. (laughs) Right, right. So as if Fukushima never happened, right? right? As if we don't understand. And, And yet I am positive that that's not what the, like, overwhelming Twitter response about that episode was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and would it have changed had they somehow found another way out of it? Maybe, but maybe not. I mean, like, I, when you're on the brink of nuclear annihilation, it's it's either it's it's going or it's not. There's not, like, a soft pause button on that <laughs> sort of thing. But it can't be a little bit nuclear. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like Christian, right? A little bit nuclear. <laughs> so that's a whole... That's, I don't know that people really fuss about it that much, Um but what I think they might be, but they're certainly exposed to things. And I think the beauty of sci-fi in the way that I came into it was <clears throat> that it is an ability for us to explore parts of ourselves in a way that we can't explore it within the parameters of the world we currently live in, right? Uh, I'm trying to think. What's, uh, Richard Matheson, for example, right, who wrote tons of Twilight Zone episodes. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not like... You know, all of those are completely realistic in some sense. But what they're asking is, what is at the core of human nature? And our innovations in the science field are at the core of what it is to be human. So now we have this cool connection between these two that maybe that innovation can actually inform things that otherwise would just be what-ifs, you know. So... When you guys, you guys are now creating some of your own content, where can people find what you guys do, but also jumping off points for if you're like, gosh, I really want to learn more about science and I'm a dummy and I know nothing, but I'm really interested and I, I want to know, you know, because I think there are a lot of people too. I like, I love your sort of mission to get people involved in science and to want to be hungry to know more. And I think a lot of people are just like, oh, science, that's a big idea. That's far away. Like, what can people do to bring themselves closer? I think we probably all have a lot of answers to this. I think um, some of it depends on what kind of entertainment or information um, someone responds to and how they take things in. So for someone who just wants, like, a short blip and a, a quick, you know, jump into something... YouTube is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like there are actually a bunch of incredible science communicators on YouTube that do um, will dive into either one particular subject or do like a quick broad overview on something. Um, you know, there's SciShow. Yeah. There's um, help me out, guys. Here. 
Tazian, Derek Mueller is an amazing science communicator, and his videos are so wonderful. And they really espouse that idea. One thing like that we think is important when it comes to creating STEM content is not just to show science, but to show the scientific method and curiosity. Mm -hmm. Because if we can have critical thought, like the way that the scientific method works, if our brains can be more wired that way, it'll help the future where we don't believe every single thing we read on in Twitter Mm -hmm. or on what we see in a movie or a TV show gives us pause to be like, that's cool. Maybe I should go look that up and research that and open the door a little bit to curiosity that way. So that's important. But yeah, YouTube uh, SciShow with uh, Hank Green is Mm -hmm. phenomenal. Uh, There's... uh, What's Emily Locke, the Wallace show? Oh, um, but it's on TV. The the one that she's a host of TV. Oh, yeah, Exploration TV, Station. Right? Yes. Yeah, that's on TV. Uh, yeah. And so is It's Okay to Be Smart, right? That's PBS with Joe Hansen. Yeah, PBS mm-hmm. Digital. PBS um, Digital. Has It's Okay to Be Smart with Joe yeah. Hansen. And if you're if you're a podcast kind of person, um, Ooh, yes. because clearly you all are because you're a <laughs> fantastic podcast, um, there are a bunch of great podcasts as well. So um, Cara Santamaria has a podcast and interviews a lot of amazing uh, scientists and science communicators. Um, Andrea Viscontes. It's um, called Talk Nerdy. Oh, yeah, Karis. 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 Talk Nerdy. Um, Oops, sorry. I just just hit Gia's boot. Um, Andrea (laughs) Viscontes has a a wonderful podcast as well. Um, Inquiring Minds, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so there's that. Um, I mean, and there's also other points of entry. Like, for example, there's a great podcast called Gastropod that my friend Cynthia Graber does with her uh, co-host. And that's a podcast that's all about food, but told through the lens of science and history. So there might be something you're passionate about that connects with science in an interesting way that you can find a point of entry to. And even the New York Times has, like, the science newsletter you can subscribe to. So you can get, once a week, all the top science stories. And the New York Times science writers are really good, like Carl Zimmer, neuroscientist. He's a phenomenal he's a writer. writer. And he's a good so, storyteller. Yes. Mm-hmm. And also, like, Oliver Sacks was just such an amazing storyteller, and he's yes. a neuroscientist. Like, you have, really, science and art are the same thing, but different sides of the same coin. Yes. They both look to, you know, express meaning of our world and questions. And if you want to, again, like, sort of coming at it from an angle that's different than like, okay, I'm going to learn about chemistry today. Um, our, our friend Jen Willette has a bunch of great books that really um, give you a pop culture entree into it. Um, mm-hmm. Is it Physics, Science from the Buffyverse? Uh, yes, with the uh, Physics of the Buffyverse. Physics yeah. of the Buffyverse. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so she's got a whole book on calculus. The that, Calculus Diaries. Yeah, that is great. Um, so, and again, it it's, takes it from a different angle, which I think is yes. an easier entree point. So books, YouTube, podcasts, newspapers. Um, I mean, if, if you really want to get into, into something, <laughs> like you, you, you get a little bit in and you're like, oh, I want to go deep. There's now a bunch of free online university courses that you can take. Yeah. Um, the moves. And so. if you follow us on Twitter or just even look at who we follow on Twitter, I mean, it's almost all just scientists or um, news platforms or science communicators. You know, there's so many inspiring people that are in the science community on Twitter. I just, I can't get over it every day. I'm like, you are so amazing. You are like helping save our world. Thank you. I love you. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think also for us, a lot of it too is this idea that you don't have to be a scientist or an expert to love science. Like I think the three of us are are very clear, like we're science enthusiasts we love it. It makes us curious about the larger world. It makes us think about things in a different way. And I think that's part of the message that we want to get out there. This idea that, you know, you can love it and be, you know, 
have a profession or things that you do in everyday life on a regular basis that have nothing to do with science, but that science, that tech, that engineering, that math, it will seep in and make your world bigger and brighter and make you see things in new, interesting ways. And for the little girls out there, too, like that being a scientist isn't just a lonely lab and a job in a lab, you know, where you have this very specific stereotype. I was talking with this about some, which about this with Summer, how there's these, di- you know, it's a dichotomy. It's either the slutty scientist, like it's a Halloween <laughs> getup of her or something, you know, or it's like this lab nerd who's alone and it's just the rest are guys. And like, we need to create this like visual platform in the media of diverse, inclusive, aspirational science people and tech and engineering and math. Um, women where, you know, you show them in the Amazon because, you know, they're uh, a geneticist and they're, you know, they have their new handheld. There's a brand new DNA handheld um, device yeah. that, that was just a big story that Ed Young, who's an amazing science writer, just wrote about. Um, and so you have, you know, this female geneticist in the Amazon who's like sequencing, you know, genomes on these like rare, you know, plants and animals or something. You have like a marine biologist who's at the Great, Bar- Great Barrier Reef. You have somebody who's at, the, you know, in the Antarctic doing something you show that it's like this adventure filled job you're not you know in a white lab coat and glasses under peering into a microscope absolutely and that there doesn't have to be a division between like being feminine and female and being smart too you know i think that that's in my show einstein's girl i love to show up in like you know a full length sequin dress and then <laughs> sing a song about the higgs boson because those two things don't go together and <laughs> that's awesome and that's a great way to do it and i know that that's one of the criticisms right of big bang theory right is that you know we have amy who is just dork 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 right and then bernadette who has boobs and that those are the kind of the only two Mm-hmm. sides of it. And your Taryn's exactly right. There are so many different ways that science is working and STEM in different ways. And um, that's really the cool thing about the times we live in now is that now those people's stories can be out there so much more easily than they would have, right? I, I just love listening to you guys talk <laughs> yeah. about this stuff because you make it so exciting. And two, I think there are a lot of people that are interested in the making of comics and that kind of thing. And just the way that you talk about it, I'm like, all of those sound like, what an amazing jumping off point. Because it sounds like an amazing narrative, but the cool thing is, it's, it's real life. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of mind-blowing to me. Well, and, and that's, I mean, that's, I sort of love that crossover between, between the comics and, you know, what is, what is happening out in STEM fields nowadays. I have to say, I totally give you props because you turned me onto graphic audio. Oh yeah. 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 So I was, um, listening to, uh, for those who don't know, well, you'll explain it better than I will. Well, graphic audio is basically, uh, a, a movie for your mind or a whatever. Movie, the, a movie for your mind. And they, it's, it's, it's basically like, it's not just an audio book. It's more than that. So, like, you know, the, the we've done a Miss Marvel one. Um, we've done Civil War. Guardians of the Galaxy. And they basically, they have the people who are the actors who voice act the... The, the 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 person like Tony Stark, but then they also have the sounds, soundscapes. Yeah, and they music. do a full Foley effect. There's music. It's it's great. Um, and so I've been listening to some of those. But like I was listening to Civil War, and um, you know, just sort of like listening to everything that's going on in the lab and stuff like that. Like there is science woven into the DNA mm-hmm. of comics. And so to be able to like I think that's actually a great place to look for inspiration to how to weave narrative together mm-hmm. and story. 
storytelling with exciting science. And then, again, it just makes you go, what if? Because there might be that person who is sitting in physics class and is bored out of their gourd. I know, because I was one of them. (laughs) And yet, I go see Interstellar, or I read an awesome comic or whatever, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Black holes are cool. Wait, could that actually... Wait, what happened? Okay. And then suddenly I'm down my rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, as we were talking about all the different avenues there are to take that interest one step further... I can go and explore and listen and that's and learn and that's exciting. I kind of loved that about Jessica Jones. That yes, uh, <laughs> I mean I loved it. Like totally binge watched. Um, David Tennant. I know you're married, but oh, he's so pretty and sparkly. I will give you my number. Uh, anyway, so the the I I've admittedly. I am not fully enmeshed in your world, that I, like, dip a toe in, but I, like, don't even feel qualified to be called a geek or a nerd because I don't have that in the comic world in my arsenal at all. Um, However, I loved Jessica Jones because I felt like if you took away the fact that they have these sort of superpowers, right? For lack of... This is total newbie talking, so I don't... I'm saying this all wrong. But if you remove that, And you look at it as a story about a woman who has been psychologically eviscerated by a man. That is real. (laughs) I have been on the receiving end of that. (laughs) So, (laughs) luckily I haven't murdered my parents yet. And, uh, you know, but that, like, if if you take out this, like, supernatural element to it, that's a psychological drama. Right? I mean, that's a Carol Churchill-worthy drama, as far as I'm concerned. And, like, that is why that sort of heightened sci-fi part of it, if that amps people up enough to do it, if you were like, oh, my God, it's a psychological thriller about this woman who's been completely destroyed by this, uh, you know, manipulative man, and you're like, snore, I know it's an independent movie, don't want to go. But if you say, and they can't be killed because they're mutants, then all of a sudden people are like, what? And like that, and then they're in it. But it's really at its core, it's telling this story about what is human psychology? What is it to, how are people built? How are they created? Is there a way to change the way that we are? And that, you know, age old nature versus nurture kind of debate, right? And the more we know, the more we know about how we're wired. Like as much as we, E.O. Wilson, you know, took all that flack in the mm-hmm. 70s for saying, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of us that's just kind of there and that's not culturally uh, imbued. And, um, He's a biologist. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. He's great. Read yeah. any of his books. Yes. Uh, but he's the one who recently said, "How much of the, how much is half of the planet should be uh, con- conserved and shouldn't have popul- human population on it?" Yeah. So I would agree with that. Yes, it's a great New York Times opinion piece. Yeah. And also, there's a wonderful documentary about him uh, that I just saw at the Environmental Film Fest in D.C. So check that out. Well, and two, these kind of series also like raise some interesting conversations about like. Modification, right? Right. Because mm-hmm. that's like real. Jessica Jones and Luke Cage have been yeah. modified, and you know, and that's happening more and more. Where they're talking about, like, well, hey, what if you are going to be a cyborg? And there are people, you know, I have a friend who has diabetes, and he wears a diabetes yeah. pod, and he's always like, well, I'm a cyborg because mm-hmm. yes. I don't have a pancreas, but this is my pancreas. Well, yeah. the it's it's funny that you bring that up at the event that Taryn and I were at the other night. Um, it was it was science speed dating, and oh. so they brought right. I was very disappointed to hear that you don't get to date a scientist from it. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I would venture to say that if you came, if you had been, I'm excited, if you had 
come, perhaps there would have been some next sex time. <laughs> um, I do give you a key. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it is sort of the traditional speed dating thing where the audience stays, there are a couple different rooms, and they rotate the scientists around to each oh, small cool. group of people, and they all talk on their specialties. And one of them, uh, one of the women there was uh, works in 3D printing. And so she was talking about, you know, sort of printing, she used the word devices, like a, a heart, printing mm-hmm. a bladder, printing a liver. And at the end, there was a panel discussion. They brought all of the um, scientists and technologists into one room, and there was a panel discussion. And one of the questions was, you know, in your particular area of expertise, what do you think is something interesting that's going to be happening in 100 years? And it brought up this whole question about, in 100 years, if most of our bodies are these devices, and are these considered devices, are these considered living things, and if you're just a brain on top of a body that's mostly devices, what are you? I love this. I mean, <laughs> so so to me, that's Ghost in the Shell. Like, what yeah. I actually, I didn't read comics growing up. I was an anime fan, anime mm-hmm. and manga. And Ghost in the Shell was like, Matoko was like, that was the, the singing point for me to really start getting into, like, the, this weird sort of sci-fi world and, like, getting more into, like, comics and all that type of stuff. And I wrote an entire paper on Motoko and Ghost in the Shell, mm. and her, you know, sort of like the Japanese psychology of Ghost in the Shell, what it means to the Japanese culture, and so like, you know, now that the people like talk about those type of things, I'm like, that's just Ghost in the Shell, like that's just Motoko. It's just <laughs> like, Motoko just is like in the in the first movie, it's just her brain and her spinal cord, right. and the rest of her is is this cyborg mm-hmm. and dealing with. Then at that point, the tachacomas that are in it, like you, they deal in this fact that they almost have personalities. And because they're robots, are they actually real? And that's the idea of the ghost. Is, is a robot real or not real? Mm-hmm. When we start building code that creates personalities. And like, what is life? Well, life is energy. And then... If, but if energy can't be created or destroyed, it becomes this huge conversation. Right, yes. Like, what, what is, is consciousness? Humanity? What right. is consciousness? What is consciousness? Right. Which is, there's like nothing more human than that, but also it's kind of like a sci-fi tale. So you're right. having an intersection of all these different topics now because you realize they're all interrelated too. Right. Right. You know, when you come to psychology and biology, neuroscience yeah. and biology and, you know, and physics, everything. Tech, yeah. Exactly. And now they're realizing that, you know, um, quantum mechanics are at the base of, of plants and photosynthesis and how like they're so efficient. They're 100% efficient for photosynthesis, you know, and taking in energy from, you know, from their from their different photoreceptors. It's, you know, it's fascinating. Everything is interwoven. I think sci-fi is the best platform to address these and, and do it in a way that sort of brings people into the world and gives a beautiful metaphor for sort of these ethical issues, too, that we're going to have yes. to... We're going to have to look into. I saw I, uh, I in the Sky last night, which is, you know, not sci-fi, but it's really tech-heavy. It's the one with Helen Mirren, and she is a, a colonel with the um, U.K. Air Force or whatever, and she has to make those decisions with the drone, whether or not, you know, what is the collateral damage, whether or not to take out these, like, three really high-level um, suspects or, on, you know, on the kill list when there's this collateral damage of the girl. These are, ethi- you know, but it's drones. We're going to have so many ethical issues when it comes to drones and our personal, we you know, it was a plot line in The Good Wife. I mean, and that's, The Good Wife is not sci-fi, but, yeah. you know, there was, she was, Alicia was pulled into a, a tribunal, I don't know what the technical technical word is, you know, where they had to decide whether or not to take out someone and whether there was enough um, intel on it. And, you know, so these, these questions make their way into every aspect of life. I mean, a lawyer, I'm guessing, is not someone, someone I thought I'd ever have to deal with that, but that 
this is stuff that comes up. You know, if you're fictional and married to the fictional governor and, you know. Et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yes. I was at a science and entertainment exchange event last night, which was about um, the science behind submarine warfare, which is not something I ever thought I would be interested in. However, it was absolutely fascinating. It was mm-hmm. a delightful evening. And uh, I didn't know this, but subs can launch drones while submerged. Really? And they, like drones yep. in the air or drones yep. on the water? No, no, no. Through through the water. Up through the water. Pachoo! A periscope suddenly has a whole new meaning. Yes. <laughs> and that then then they don't necessarily have to pilot it. Like they can once that then that can send off signal and other people can pilot yeah. it. Or they can pilot it, but of course they try and keep down any kind of electromagnetic um, frequency Signature, whatsoever yeah. so that they, you know, remain undetected, which is their number one priority. Um <laughs> But the the interesting thing that, that they talked about was over the last 20 years how much the deck of the boat has changed and that um, that today's submarines have far more in common with the Star Trek Enterprise uh, than they do with any boat that we ever think of when we think of a submarine. And that the entire generation of gamers in specific has revolutionized the Navy, specifically yeah. in the Marine Corps, I'm mean, sorry, in the submarine fleet, and um, that... Like there used to be like a pilot's stick, right, for uh, for navigating, and there were two people that were doing it, and it was like an airplane. And now it's just a joystick. Gamers. The, the paris the periscope is a joystick. Uh, everything is done that way, and it's all on computers. Everything is computers, and so even for military applications, even for a pacifist like myself, you know, I say like, oh yeah, I really see how this gaming has made such a difference. And of course, gaming for drones. I mean, that's what. And then we have to deal with the ramifications of these people who are doing drone strikes and then have massive PTSD because they're like, oh my God, I just took out this neighborhood in Kabul and I did it by moving my thumb. You know, that there's, so there are big questions that we all are needing to ask ourselves as a country and as a, as a global entity. You know, what are we comfortable with? And does the technology, whether it's, you know, implanting you know, something in your brain to control your Parkinson's or your diabetes or, you know, printing uh, an organ um, or, you know, clicking a button and sending out a drone strike, that are those things that, what is our agreed upon ethical decision about those things? And, you know, how do we, <clears throat> how do we bridge this advancement that we've gotten so smart and... and- brings us back to kind of what we why one of the reasons why we do what we do is because uh, for general STEM and science literacy we want an informed public so that they can elect informed representatives yes. because yeah. you know we have non-climate we have climate change deniers on the science and technology subcommittee yes I mean it's mind-blowing we need we need a government that actually can make policy that will help us transition into this new digital Era, digital proliferation as well as climate and dealing with climate change. We need people who are educated that way, and we can only elect them if we have an educated public. Absolutely. There was even the Navy last night were saying that um, because of global warming, that the receding ice in the Antarctic uh, is meaning that there are more boats that can pass year round, and like that trade is going to like increase, and that that's going to continue to erode more of the ice, and that they are, you know, like these these things that. I don't know that I ever have taken two seconds to even consider, suddenly then become an issue for our military, not even in our waters, but in international waters, because that means there's that much more traffic, right? Like, that's just amazing. Gotta have good people at the helm. Everything's connected. (laughs) I mean, I was thinking that what you guys are doing is sort of bringing... Uh, you know, like sort of coming back to sort of what I rambled about in the beginning about getting more sort of women and 
and men to sort of see young, to see that there are people in the industry working. And I think that that has a lot to do with sort of like Big Bang is a, is a like the first time you see mm-hmm. a woman, female scientist, really out there on like regular TV. I mean, there's always been female scientists, but they're always, you know, like, here's a TV show that's been on the air for, like, seven, eight years, mm-hmm. however long Big Bang is. Yeah. But now on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we've got a female scientist. You know, we have, you know, sh- like... And it's becoming less archetypal and more moving toward, like, yeah. normal people that aren't some either, like, fetishized or right. archetype, but they're, like whole interesting people that are being seen in the science community. Yeah, no, I just, I had an audition for something, I don't know, three weeks ago, and it was it was actually for a Disney kids show, and um, they had a teacher, a physics teacher, that they had written in, and it was written in as, as a guy, and they saw a bunch of guys. Um, I think they actually, I don't know who they ended, ended up casting. I, I know it wasn't me. <laughs> I was very pleased They're to be lost. brought in. Um, but they, I suddenly got a call saying, hey, would you come in for this? Um, we realized there's no reason this this part can't be a woman, and we should probably see some women. So much applause. Yeah, yeah. that's and such a wonderful thing, I think. Yeah, and I think we're, the three of us are really big uh, fans of Gina Davis and what she has done with her Institute on Media and Gender. And um, I went to a presentation that they did at YouTube, I don't know, a couple months ago, and one of the things that they talked about was the idea of writers should just go write their scripts, write whatever they want, whatever, you know, wherever their imagination takes them. However, when they're done, they should then go back and change half of the male, look at how many male characters they have versus female characters, and change half of the male characters to women. Don't change anything else. And see if it actually makes a difference, if it really matters, because ultimately what you will get from that nine times out of ten is a bunch of really wonderful, rich, nuanced female characters that you might not have thought to write. Well... And that reminds me of that George R.R. R. Martin quote that I'm going to totally bastardize right now. <laughs> but where he's like, I, I happen to be of the mind that women are people. Uh, right. it's just yeah. Like, yeah, it's kind of like we're all people and people have all different things that they like. There are women that have masculine ideals who are no-nonsense and straightforward. And it doesn't have to be a sergeant mm-hmm. who is a man for it to be those characteristics because women can have those characteristics also, for example. Yeah. Yeah. And that gets into what happens behind the scenes too. I mean, I, I really do believe in this idea that, you know, you you if you can see it, then you can be it and you you espouse to what's in front of you. And I wrote a piece recently about a producer named Deborah Hill for the PGA. Um, she was one of the first uh independent female producers of horror movies. She wrote the Halloween movies with John Carpenter. Mm. She's I mean, she's amazing. And the the thing that are, and they were doing and she passed away unfortunately um, back in I think 2005 and um, you know one of the reasons that they were doing the piece was because of this article that came out in the New York Times in the fall looking at the percentage of women in the industry or more accurately not in the industry exactly. and the fact that like the stats are still kind of dismal when you consider that we are half of the population the stats for producers were slightly better than they were in other fields like directing and cinematography and one of the theories was because you had some early people like Deborah who really took it upon themselves to mentor other women and bring them in. And the great thing was all of the women that I talked to um, were all very, very different. You know, you had producers who were who were really hardcore and have what we might consider more, more masculine uh, personalities. You had women who were very soft. Um, you know, and everyone on the spectrum in between, and there's room for everyone like that in this industry. Um, so I think being inclusive, I think if we can put more female uh, STEM professionals on screen that 
of, of all different stripes and, you know, stripes and personalities. I, that's important. I really give you all kudos, too, at, along the lines of mentorship of sort of your mission of making it women visible in science and, and mentoring younger generations of women to be interested in this and, and pull them into this because I, I think there isn't a huge sort of forum where that's happening right now and I think it's really amazing that you guys are taking it upon yourselves to do that. Thank you. I'm going to give out props to Marvel for a second because yes. Marvel yeah. has actually done an awesome job with, um, for their last several movies, they have had these initiatives where um, they've had a couple of different contests aimed at young women who are working in various STEM fields. I know for Civil War, for uh, Marvel's Captain America Civil War, they just had, um, it was the Girls Reforming the Future contest mm-hmm. where, um, you know, it was open to girls aged like 15 to 18 and it was all about coming up with a project that would change the future. I remember for Ant-Man, it was a project that was focused on engineering since right. that was more the focus of, uh, you know, of that film. Um, it all started off with a project that Natalie Portman introduced when they did Thor, the second, I think it was for Thor, the Dark World. Yeah. So, you know, so Marvel, like, I, I got to hand it to Marvel. They're, they're doing good with that. Yeah. I mean, that, that as, as, as someone who was a young scientist and then got into sort of art and photography instead, like, seeing that is so amazing. Also, the, the girl who won, I can't remember her name, but she is teal hair. Uh, yeah. And I looked at that and I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. Because I, that's what we need. Exactly. I've also totally got to give a shout out to her. I didn't get to meet her on the red, I didn't get to meet any of the girls on the red carpet this time around, but um, one of the girls is from Marlboro, New Jersey, which is the town <laughs> next to mine. And I was like, yes, go Jersey girl. <laughs> <laughs> So we have, I mean, I would love for us to continue talking, uh, but sadly, uh, we should probably end this podcast. But for those at home who are interested in sort of the program, where can they find you guys? I'm sure you're on the Twitters. and Yeah, we, um, we're on the Twitters. Uh, our, ha- our, our, our handle, what's it called? Yes, our handle is uh, Sirens, S-C-I-R-E-N-S. And then our website is Sirens.com. And if you want to find us individually, Gia. I am at Ms. M-I-Z underscore Mora. And I'm at Tamara Krinsky. I'm at Taryn O'Neill. Well, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you, ladies. This was an amazing conversation. I, like, like so I loved it. I learned today, and my brain grew. That's yeah. what I feel like today. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, everyone at home, your brain has grown. Uh, if you have questions for any of these lovely ladies, please hit them up on Twitter. If you have questions for us, you can always email us at womanof@marvel.com. We will check you guys later. This is Marvel, your universe.